welcome to the James Connolly Festival 2021 and today we're going to be talking about uh, post-Covid arts and culture. Um, I'm Michelle Byrne and I'm here as a representative from the Trade Union Left Forum. Um, we're a forum that is a space for trade union activists to have those hard debates, a class-based analysis um, on some trade union issues of the day and what, um, what's happening in organising in the country. Um, we're delighted to be here as part of this panel uh, facilitating this great discussion with you all. Um, and I suppose it's really important to, to have this as a space in itself because obviously the COVID crisis has had a disproportionately uh, affecting artists. You know, there's obviously the, precari the precarity of work uh, for artists even before COVID and now that's obviously been hi highlighted more. And as well, like what the effects are of COVID when it comes to um, people's creativity as well. So um, I'm joined on the panel by um, many different art practices, which is great to see. Uh, we have Emma Kieran, who is an actor, um, playwright, screenwriter, screenwriter, who is known for many of his writings um, many might know for the Dublin Old School um, and we have Owen O'Neill who is an author an author sorry uh, we have Owen O'Neill who is a musician and author of the Capitalist Illusion and a member of the CPI and we have Azzy O'Connor who works in film photography and is a communications officer for the new union Praxis and um, so Azzy we might get started with yourself you've been involved in uh, starting up an exciting new project Praxis a new artists union um, I know this this idea was kind of born pre-covid and um, but you've just recently gone public. Would you like to chat a bit more about that? Sure. Um, so thank you very much for having me. Um, it's, I, I think, one of the, the highlights for, for many members of Praxis in 2020 was the union. Uh, we, like you said, we originally tried to set it up um, at the end of February, mid-March, I believe. Um, and it was uh, essentially spearheaded by Kerry Guinan um, and was set up in A4 Sounds. And it was essentially this kind of forum where a few dozen artists all kind of got together and discussed uh, workplace issues and pay issues, uh, different kind of concerns, uh, working as an artist um, from all different disciplines as, as well, which was very important to us. Um, and so pretty much the last physical meeting we had, uh, the week afterwards, we went back into lockdown, into the first lockdown even. Um, so a very interesting time. And so we essentially moved everything digitally. Um, and before then, we had collectively agreed to and work on building an actual union off the back of those kind of four-week projects. Um, so it was, you know, the, the 12, 13 months of uh, organising. Um, we had a, an incredible reception. I think 400 artists across Ireland had expressed interest in joining. Um, and so we've been trying to kind of pick up those numbers since we've launched. Um, we, like I said, we represent every kind of discipline. So uh, musicians, dancers, choreographers, uh, filmmakers, poets, writers, um, you know, and we are the first artist union in Ireland to represent such a broad uh, amount of disciplines, um, which is very important because what we realized in that original kind of four week um, course or kind of forum was that issues we were dealing with were similar across the board. Um, they were issues with not getting paid on time and not getting paid properly, being forced to cover your own expenses um, for different projects, um, not getting contracts, um, being asked to work for exposure or essentially being kind of forced in certain circumstances to work for exposure without pay. Um, you're competing with uh, a lot of free labor that was being used throughout kind of both private and publicly funded um, arts organizations and, and different sectors. Um, so a, a massive bunch of issues that we all kind of realized that we needed a union and not a campaign group either. There's, there's plenty of very promising campaign groups in Ireland dealing with different kind of arts and culture issues. Um, but we wanted an actual democratic representation of, um, of workers, which was, was super important. So uh, we launched there at the end of March officially. Um, we got great press reception, uh, including this, which is, which is all fantastic. 
Um, there's been a lot of discussion around the campaign that we launched with as well, which was around the application procedure for the Arts Council of Ireland. Um, our members at our first AGM at the beginning of March uh, voted that it was unfit for purpose and uh, we are hoping to work with the Arts Council to build a system that is more artist-centred. Great, and it's great to hear actually, and I see, saw some myself, the, the mainstream media actually covering a launch like this. Quite unusual that workers' struggles would get such a, such a uh, page coverage um, in mainstream media, so fair play. And have you found, um, how have you found organising online, um, particularly starting up a union, how have you found that, have you found, faced any challenges? Um, I'd say the challenges that everyone else did in 2020, the, the roller coaster of highs and lows of lockdowns and, and sticky points wherever you can get them. Um, the, I mean, as, as like we're, we're very privileged to have an amazing set of, of activists and organizers and artists, um, not only from all different disciplines, but all different kind of, um, you know, organizing backgrounds. So like I myself, I'm a trained shop steward with Unite the Union, and we have people in the organization that would have worked very heavily with the two referendum campaigns and different kind of uh, housing activist groups, um, political organizations and so on and so forth. So we really have a real melting pot of, of different kind of political ideologies, different organizing backgrounds, which made it a much easier process um, than you know, anything else. And I think that, 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 that kind of collective education of a lot of people that work in the arts um, really fed into uh, the, the establishment of the union. I mean, we originally set up before COVID hit and throughout the last you know, 12, 13 months, it's been a real reminder as to why we needed it. Um, and so as far as digital organising goes and Zoom meetings, uh, it could have been a lot worse. Absolutely, and I know you were born out of the back of A4 Sounds, not literally in the back of the building, but like in one of the rooms. And it's been interesting to see, like obviously it started off in Dublin, but probably actually this online organising has let you grow in a much more kind of like island-wide way than if it was just maybe based in one specific location, which is great, great opportunities there. Um, the campaign that you've launched, can you tell us a little bit more about that? It's around funding, and isn't it? Sure, so it's, it's essentially around the application procedure for the Arts Council of Ireland. Um, obviously, there's lots of issues around funding. I believe we spend half the percentage of GDP on our arts and culture sector uh, compared to the rest of the EU. Um, so that's obviously a separate issue, but as far as the ability to actually get these grants that are being um, made is, is an issue in and of itself. So um, from many of the discussions that we've had with members, uh, it's been around access, it's been around um, language and your understanding of language and using certain terminology that resonates with the Arts Council and you essentially need to do a lot of box ticking which essentially involves you coming from a privileged enough background to understand this terminology, to have X, Y and Z degrees um, and to also not have any reading or writing um, disabilities or issues around language um, or issues around sight um, and so there's just kind of a a multitude of, of kind of problems. Um, one, of, one of the big ones as well around the applications um, for, for the Arts Council would be the fact that artists don't really see any funding from actually filling out the applications which can take you know up to a month for some artists and um, we, we have a campaign going with members trying to count up the numbers some of them going up to you know one two hundred hours spent on an application and um, whereas you have workers in arts organizations who would get paid an hourly rate to make these applications out. So ultimately you have this massive disparity between people getting paid to make these applications and people not getting paid to make these applications. Because ultimately the system as it is, isn't artist centered, it isn't worker centered and that's hopefully what we want to achieve working with the Arts Council. Absolutely, that's a huge, a lot of unpaid work that people are doing in order to try and maybe get funding, which is very risky. Like, you know, if you're, if you're trying to figure out what, which grant then would be the best to do mm -hmm. and which takes the quickest amount of time, you're more likely to get that's a scary place to be. 
And is there any other campaigns that you are looking at in the future once, you know, obviously I'm just going to assume that you're going to be successful in this campaign. Um, where do you see yourselves going next? Um, so we had a couple of very interesting debates at our, our first AGM uh, at the beginning of March. Um, there was a few things brought up. The things that stand out in my mind were like making sure that it wasn't a Dublin-centred organisation, um, especially given the fact that a lot of artists get pushed out of urban areas. Uh, it was very important to focus on um, rural areas and, and towns and villages throughout Ireland, um, understanding that the local authorities there are uh, just as to blame for a lack of kind of arts funding as, as any kind of major um, urban centres. Um, we also kind of wanted to reiterate that it is an Ireland-wide organisation as well. Um, the issues that we kind of originally uh, discussed um, in, in A4 Sounds were around, you know, like contracts and, and gender disparity and, and those kind of things which are near identical across the border. Um, so it was very important that we, we, we weren't to Dublin centres. Um, as well as that, um, we voted against uh, CETA um, and kind of had a very interesting discussion around you know, what's our place in it and what's the discussion happening nationally. And so we wanted to kind of reiterate that um, these kind of big trade union discussions need to incorporate artists and these kind of big political discussions and big kind of trade discussions need to incorporate artists who are very often left out of these, these talks. Absolutely, because it affects artists in a different way to, to other members of society, but also artists can bring a whole other different design thinking to a lot of um, the solutions to these problems as well, which I think would be very much appreciated. Thanks so much for that, Ozzy. Uh, Emmett, so you are an actor in a post-COVID society and a post-COVID society, hopefully. Um, what has your lived experience been uh, being an actor and screenwriter during all of this, these difficulties? <coughs> um, what's happened is that, well, everything just went dark. Uh, instantaneously, you know, from March last year, I remember the, being at a show and saying, and the show itself was a miniature festival was happening next door in the Project Art Centre, and it was gone, you know, and at the time everybody was uh, imagining some sort of short, sharp break that would happen and everything would skip back out. So artists had had to become quite uh, flight-footed in changing uh, what they're, like, changing how they're going to make money. And then when things got worse, uh, the situation just got worse for every actor. There's a lot more film production going on, but a lot of the time that can only kind of benefit people that have a very, very established career. Theatres are the place, the kind of proving grounds for many actors that don't have a lot of experience, a lot of young actors coming out. People are training and coming out into the, the world and there's no, theatres are dark, so there's nowhere for them to go. So it's quite a despairing time. Uh, people get timed out anyway in, in the arts career. You know, you get to the 30s, you, put, you look at your career and you say, do I really want to keep on paying 1,500 euros, now gone up to 2,000 euros a month in a city that I can't get work in? So there's been a huge exodus actually from uh, centres of culture and cities, major city spaces uh, of people in theatre and artists out uh, towards the country because the city has become unlivable because there is no work, you know? So it's pretty desperate times for a lot of actors and um, especially theatre artists and practitioners. Yeah, absolutely. And like, can you see a way out of this? Like, how can we end this precarious nature, nature that was already established even before COVID hit? I think it, it's, it's different for actors because sometimes if you are an actor and, all, and acting is all you do, what do you do when that entire uh, thing is taken away? So for them, they're just kind of chomping at the bit and being told, you know, just, you just have to wait it out, like, we're sorry. There was a kind of idea when, when COVID first started that um, all artists would kind of go into a type of deep freeze and they'd go off and create lots of stuff and then they'd come out the other side of it. But as anyone has experienced like the, the pandemic, that's not how art happens. Um, 
it only happens in conversations like this, you know, when you meet people in a workspace or an art space and you can have conversations where you bounce ideas off each other. Zoom fatigue kicks in, you know what I mean? So I think that it, it's, it's happening, people are creating, more funding has come in, uh, which has allowed people that have never got funding before to get funding. So I'm hopeful in that sense, but uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure about the ability my ability even like to kind of be very creative in, in the middle of a pandemic i've found it quite difficult you know it's interesting you mentioned zoom because it's not like we had zoom and other great depressions um so we didn't have that, that, <laughs> yeah. that zoom fatigue uh, problem then but we did see a lot of art coming from it yeah and i suppose like do you do you what do you see the type of art coming out now is changing um it's not yeah like it's it's i i know i don't think so i think really people are just waiting for kind of uh, things to get back to normal so they can kind of you know I, I think there was a pivot towards digital online and um, I'm coming from a theatre uh, practitioner, this is something this is my experience, uh, you know, the Abbey kind of did a thing where um, Ireland's Call, where people wrote and made things, but like ultimately you're asking people to kind of retrain, you know what I mean, and work in another sector that they might not have any kind of uh, expertise in and that's the real kind of like capitalist model that's like you're 60 and Debenhams have closed here's some money uh, you could get into IT you know that kind of way like so it's kind of a thing of just helping and supporting people to get through the pandemic uh, and then hopefully when they get on the other side because not everybody can be creative and maybe you don't feel like being creative because you know it's a pretty depressing time so the kind of idea that everybody's just going to skip out the door with like five plays written <laughs> yeah locked yeah. up in their room uh, coming up with all the good ideas but yeah. Some people might say that there might be some hope at the end of the tunnel. Like there's suggestions now around universal basic income for artists. Yeah. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. Like I suppose we, we were going to chat. I was going to chat a little bit about this, um, just about the history of it, because I had been reading about it a good bit before uh, it was being trialled on um, artists, and um, it's co it's a conversation that's nearly about, well, it's a few thousand years old, really. Uh, goes back to the Romans, and but Britain uh, brought in a, a number of laws in the late 18th century called the Spleen-Hamland laws and it gave poor people a certain amount of grain uh, so that they wouldn't fall below a particular level of poverty but the reason it was brought in was because the system the market system at the time was failing so there was a 50-year period where they gave this grain and any time free money is given to poor people there's moralizing around it and the same thing happens like uh, the same thing happened like 200, 300 years ago. That happens now when you give poor people money. Uh, the idea was that people would become feckless and indolent and um, there was a population explosion. Um, and so what they did was they got rid of the Spleen Hamland laws and they brought in the Dickensian workhouses and we know how that kind of all worked out. Uh, they blamed them for a population explosion as well uh, in the poor people, uh, in, within the poor population of the UK. But there was a population explosion here in Ireland as well and we didn't have the Spleen Hamland laws, so there actually was no correlation. It was just one of those things again where it fed into people of means and their hatred towards poor people, you know. Um, so they, in the 1960s, there was a thing called the Ad Hoc Commission on the Triple Revolution, and uh, one of the aspects of that was cybernation or automation, as we now call it. And they were terrified that as the American economy and Western economies moved into a consumer-based um, or services-based uh, economy, that essentially workers were going to lose their jobs to robots and the main job of everybody was to be a consumer. So they decided instead of the consumer base collapsing, let's give everybody some money. And uh, Nixon was going to do this, but then somebody pointed out the Spleen Hamland laws to him and he bottled it. 
but it's amazing. Like, people like George W. Bush and Clinton were all in favour of this back then in the 70s, of giving people a base below which they couldn't fall. And I'll come back to this in a second. Marx was against this because he felt that it gave a floor to employers that they couldn't fall below. Uh, so fast forward to, uh, fast forward to, to today, a lot of kind of tech bros really love this kind of idea because what happened in the late 1970s was they didn't give people UBI but they gave them credit cards and then we got the credit crash and then we got deregulation and then in 2008 obviously we all know what happened but <laughs> a lot of tech bros have written books about this and it's a big idea amongst a lot of billionaires but some people feel that again there's a morality to that as well where they basically want to feel okay about the fact that the disparity that's happening on a global scale they can feel okay about earning billions while people don't earn anything um so fast forward to kind of like now you know, again, it's more a symptom. The, the idea of UBI finding traction again is more a symptom that the fact that the market isn't working and the invisible hand isn't actually giving everybody what they're just desserts. Um, so I, not that I'm skeptical about it. What happens with artists is in, in Britain, for example, in the post-war period and all the way up to the 80s, they kind of had a benevolent welfare system that allowed working class artists to thrive. The Beatles, uh, you know, Albert Finney, all these kind of um, you know, working class artists that would have come up at that time. And then when Thatcher got rid of that kind of benevolence in the welfare system, art in the UK, as we see now, and especially in acting, if you want to go to drama school, it will cost you £60,000 by the time you're finished. And then they only have five places for people from poor backgrounds to actually get in. But you have to be exceptional at the age of 18. And really know yourself, you know, and then when you get out then, uh, if you don't get this and you're from a poor background, you could have 60,000 euros worth of debt. So what's happening in the UK, what's happening in America is people that don't live in a city centre and have to travel up can't. And if you go in and you get a degree in, um, you know, arts, there's no guarantee you're going to make money. And if they get rid of tour level education fees, as they are creepingly trying to do here, people will not take on arts degrees because they won't be able to uh, um, uh, fund, you know, fund the life afterwards or pay back uh, any of the money that they've made. And what happens is the arts and the culture becomes incredibly monocultural because only certain people can go to college, get arts degrees. So again, just on touch on the UBI, it will be helpful to artists in Ireland because of the labyrinthine nature of the social welfare system. But we seen with the PUP, it was out for only like two months. And within two months, the conversation changed to there's people scamming this now. And there's, and you know what I mean? Like they can't help themselves. They just cannot help themselves. This folk devil that they have created of the sneaky, you know, feckless, indolent person or, you know, single parent who just doesn't want to work or, you know, a lazy pot smoking artists, pot, I'm quoting them now, you know, <laughs> I'm down with the kids, jazz cigarettes, that's what they call them nowadays. Uh, you know, so like, so UBI is being trialled, but I think there's a reason why it's being trialled with artists as opposed to any other social group in Ireland. Um, we go to the same parties as these politicians do. We uh, talk sometimes the way these politicians do. They ask us to speak at events and stuff like that. So we're the acceptable face of poverty because artists in this country have essentially been turned into a beggar class that has to keep going like with a cup going, please give me more, because the market doesn't reward art. And when you are appealing to 
uh, a bunch of neoliberals to give you more money. Their answer is, well, if you make good art, you'd make good money. You know what I mean? But that we know that's nonsense. That um, fucking Avengers Endgame will make all the money, and Parasite will be the thing that people will admire, but it won't make the same kind of cash. Such is the nature of art. So, sorry, I'm going on now. But just to wrap up, uh, yeah, you know, the thing is, most most artists will be educated to a particular level, but another grouping within society, let's say, for example, single parents their single parent payment gets cut when a child reaches the age of seven. The good thing about the UBI is lots of artists are single parents who will be timed out and can't actually keep being artists, you know what I mean? They have to make a choice sometimes between having children or keep doing what they're doing. So it's great for people and it kind of gets rid of all of the bureaucracy of the social welfare system of going in and having to explain yourself. Mm. But I'd rather they just kind of, uh, basically the point I would like to make about the whole thing is UBI is great for artists, but only if they give it to everybody. But I'm very, I'm not 100% about it because I, you know, uh, I don't know if it's just about keeping this system going for longer than maybe it should if it had a, if it was just allowed to kind of fall apart, you know. Yeah, it's really interesting what you're saying there about like trying to keep up those appearances with the political class, you know, in yeah. order to keep up with them. Um, and I suppose a lot of your work actually kind of centres around working class lives. Yeah. Um, but I've also heard the argument of like you know, oh, well, the arts and the arts communities are, are a factor in uh, the creation of, like, gen uh, kind of gentrification in cities. Do you yeah. have any thoughts on that? Yeah, like, what happened was, um, artists are always trying to sell themselves as profit makers to government departments and how much the arts actually gives to the economy. And um, it's, it's, it's not, a, not that it's a fool's errand, but what happens is, like, like what happened with COVID, when tourism stopped, we went down with the ship as well, you know, so when we tied our mast or whatever our sail to that kind of particular ship of tourism. Um, what happens in terms of gentrification and like the place that we're sitting in right now, I lived in an apartment just on this road and there were seven apartments and all of them were designed uh, for artists. They were built for artists. They're kind of very moderate one bedroom apartments that you were supposed to live and work in. Every single one of those apartments is in the hand of a hotelier or a publican or a professional who's down the country like absentee landlords and what happened in the regeneration of uh, Temple Bar for example people come in uh, disused buildings artists used them this was a place for radicals leftists feminists uh, you know queer radicals who were trying to like you know change the law in Ireland and it was this like pot of all these like brilliant uh, uh, bit of watching subversive kind of energy and art was all being created. So the government came in, they regenerated the place because the artists make the buildings that are no longer in use viable. But then what happens is tourists start to come to see the artists. And then after a while, the artists don't actually own the property. And this is what it all comes back to. We don't own the buildings, but we've regenerated the buildings. And then as soon as we regenerate them, we make them viable again. And then the person who owns them goes, Oh, well, actually, I'd like to turn this into an experience culture. So now your art studio is actually going to make me more money as a Starbucks. So what happens is we become the unwitting agents, not just of regeneration, but then of gentrification. Because it all starts with art and then it ends in real estate. And local governments and national governments on a whole don't want to own property anymore. They don't want to own buildings. They don't want to own anything. They want to give it over to somebody else to manage for them. So even like these kind of cultural institutions around Temple Bar, some of them are now empty or they've been sold off or they've tried to distance themselves. So when people talk about regeneration, I'm, I'm always just, my back goes up because I'm like, watch out. They did it to us in 2008, all these spaces all around Dublin, 
uh, Block T, all these kind of places were regenerated by artists. But as soon as the thing changed, they didn't own it. The artists were turfed out and the place was twirled down and they threw up something else in its place, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's a really interesting, like, to hear you talk about it like that because I'm living in a smaller city in Waterford yeah. um, where there's new cultural quarters coming in. Yeah. So we're at the starting point now where, and we can already see where it's going to go. Artists are going to be pushed out of <coughs> the kind of lower priced accommodation and they're not yeah. going to be able to be in those cultural quarters. And what happens, like, but I think the conversation for us as artists is, I think the conversation for us as artists is that from the get-go, we say, well, if we're going to come into this place and turn it into a theatre, or we're going to come into this place and turn it into a cinema, or a dance studio or not, who owns this building? Because I will be arsed if I am regenerating this building and making it a viable building while you let it rot for 20 years. You know, because like what happens is these places, leaving a building rotten is like anti-social behaviour. You know, like they, but the landlords and landowners are allowed to leave places disused in town centres for 20 years, that like if you were to leave some sort of rubbish on the side of the road, you wouldn't be allowed to do that. So artists come in, we regenerate it, we keep the place running for them, like keep the heat on maybe. I know of artists like have places down beside the Bernard Shaw, like took over a disused building, completely regenerated it, turned it around. But then as soon as it became viable again, they got turfed out. So we need to have those conversations about who owns this building, who owns the property, who owns the land. And until they, are, they give artists the land and the property that we have, uh, and they can't just you know, we kind of like, it's kind of think of it as a post-apocalyptic film, you know, we're like going from like, like you know, what's a Terminator? You know, we can only move at night. So it's like, we go into the building, we regenerate it, and then like, you know, scurrying, scurrying from building to building, you know, and then we just keep getting pushed out and then replaced, you know. So. Yeah, absolutely. I think that concept of like, leaving vacant buildings open is antisocial behaviour is yeah. really inter interesting when you don't when you see the guards always kind of intercepting youth who are you know anti doing yeah. antisocial behaviour but yet they'll leave that building go and yeah. in fact protect it to be empty when we've seen people being evicted for during protests or highlighting empty buildings yeah. they've, been, they've got involved then but yet we're, we're happy to to leave it yeah leave it yeah they'll come in and you know you, you attack property rights and they'll come in and they'll crack the bats you and know, that's, that's it. the thing yeah so it's about property it's about who owns it and it's about a number of other things about basically uh, constitutionality around property rights. And yeah, and stuff. but yeah, I think I think your point around like that kind of people-owned arts scene is really important, yeah. and like I think that that kind of uh, there's lots that we can imagine around that as well. Yeah. Um. Oh, I might chat to you as well. So you're yeah. a musician, um, yeah. and I'd love to hear what your experience has been in COVID as well. Yeah. Um. I suppose there's there's very much parallels to um the Emmett's kind of what's what's happened there with musicians like like march came along like we had uh, i played a couple of bands i put a big tribute band and then uh, an original band and you know we had our calendar full for the year and then just it's gone and like the the industry just obliterated uh, and a lot of my mates that are musicians similar things just you know everything's gone um and you know obviously the uh, the music industry and uh, like a lot of arts industry, it's it's so precarious that, um, like, you know, I'm, I'm a musician. I've been playing music for over twenty years, but I haven't been able to build a full time career where I can say, um, you know, on on a census that I'm a musician, um, like a, a full time job as well. But um, it's it's just that there's no stability in 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 music, um, unless you're, you know, you're one of those. I, Get the record deal. I made the break. I'm I, I'm successful. So like su success measured in you know I've I've got the <laughs> the album um, record label. Um, 
so yeah, it's it's been it's been difficult and like it's it's not even just about not being able to gig. It's the like there's so many different aspects. Like it's the social element of not being able to jam, rehearse with uh, with band members and all that sort of stuff. And uh, another thing that Emmett pointed to was uh, the creative creativity aspect. Like you know, people think that with all this time now, like because it's it's mad. Like you, our lives are so busy and. Um, you think, okay, I have all this time now to be creative, but like I said, it's not like a tap that you just go, okay, I've, I've all this free time, because there's, you know, we were in the middle of a global pandemic and, um, you know, worries about families and friends, and it wasn't that creative uh, stream that was just like, yeah, we're all making albums, making singles, whatever like that, so um, it has been stunted, but I, I, I do feel like, um, you know, there's probably a lag uh, happen where the, the struggles um, come going forward will be uh, re will be represented in, in, in music and different type of art forms. Um, you know, in the next couple of years, I just don't think um, you know it's it's been particularly creative because I like I just don't think the the social aspect has been there because that's how music creators and, and different arts work. It's being collaborative. It's been there um, playing. Like I'm we're, we're in the middle of trying to record a, an album and. You know, we haven't have been able to work in the studio, uh, even just work out different parts. It's all like section to section. So it's been, uh, been very difficult, but like, you know, yeah, you just have to, uh, you know, continue and, uh, and continue to make uh, the stuff that we do, that we love, because that's ultimately, like, that's what we, uh, as artists and, and creative people is, is just that there's a drive for it because you have a passion for it. And uh, that's why so many people are, <laughs> make uh, no money but will they can do it for <laughs> for as long as possible um, but I, I do think uh, um, it's hard to tell now but there are definitely people will have have left the industry they, they just can't sustain it and will question like uh, you know what's what's the point of me um, busting my balls and doing this type of stuff when you know there's, there's just no future for it uh, and I think um, you know the system in Ireland it's it isn't a sustainable uh, creative system for, for artists and, and that's just um, the way it is and until there's some sort of like these conversations actually happen within um, the artists themselves um, there won't be a change because I, I don't think we can just go to the gatekeepers of, of funds and, and expect it to uh, you know creative artists to flourish it's like it's a conversation it, it's uh, it's organized it's building it's um, you know questioning you know why why do we have a precarious uh, industry? Like it's not just about music, but film and um, theater, um, painting, whatever it is. Uh, there's so many people are struggling. We have so many people that are creative, but so many people are struggling. So yeah. that conversation has to uh, has to happen, and um, and and I think it will because you know it's the material conditions that really uh, change um, you know people's. Uh, views on society uh, so yeah. yeah and it's 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 almost hard to hear you make that reflection like of people questioning whether it's worth it or not because it's without question that the arts have got me through this pandemic you know yeah. everyone out there listening to their music uh, as they go on their five kilometer walks around <laughs> the place you know um, or reading in all this spare time that people have but I, I, yeah it is it's definitely interesting and you know even recording must be really difficult and but I suppose there's lots of things and it goes back to the whole like 
that Zoom narrative of like, there's only so much that can happen in a Zoom, but like it's the stuff that happens outside the Zoom, like something that you write on a napkin over a pint after a couple of chats and like the, the creative juices start flowing um, and that kind of energy that you get when you're with someone. So I can't imagine how all of that has kind of um, kind of stunted a lot of that as well. And I can imagine like obviously you're... That yeah, like, like some people, um, some people obviously they, they can work on that, but not everyone is comfortable like I suppose a lot of how, how bands uh, have gone into, um, you know, social media has taken a, a real front uh, foot here, and a lot of people, you know, don't want their to show their what they've had for breakfast, you know, just again, it's it's almost like you're catching. Uh, you have to have not just be a great musician, great writer, but you have to be uh, a marketeer. You have to have everything in play, and you have to show your life. Otherwise, you won't get the fans. It's like there's the, this be, this transition has happened where, you know, rather than the, the record label coming out with the A and R uh, and actually look putting in money into um, you know building up artists that these that are rough and ready, the artists now have to take all the risk and have to build this brand. Like you know, it's like you have to be ready for uh, for consumption. You have to be ready for export. We don't want to put in the money and then you know once it's once the band is ready to go, uh, okay we'll give you the record label or whatever like that. But um, so it's, it, it is a struggle for, um, you know, for people that, you know, if the social media isn't the thing, but you know, people get on, like there's people get on with uh, what, they, what they do. That's, there's no kind of choice about it. Like, yeah, you're almost expected to be professional marketers as well as musicians, aren't you? Yeah, like oh, I'll tell you, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and it's interesting what Emmett was saying around universal basic income as well. Um, the Musicians uh, Union of Ireland, Equity, have actually come out saying that they do support universal basic uh, income. But I suppose from a CPI perspective, uh, the position is, you know, that universal basic services is probably a better uh, angle to look at. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, um, I suppose with the with universal, universal basic services, it's, I think, listen, we all have our basic needs, our basic wants. And I think if, if it's focused on, um, like, a sum of money, you know who's to set the universal basic income like on 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 whose level like what you know what's 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 the level that will meet the needs of society and i think um really if it's about like a, a certain uh, amount of euro uh, then there's there isn't much of a need then for governments to actually provide the services so i think if if the idea of a universal universal basic income is to come in it has to be um first of all, founded upon universal basic services, because I think that's um, one of the major problems with artists is it's not just that there isn't enough income, it's the cost of living, it's the cost of uh, mortgages, housing, uh, services, healthcare, dental care, all, all this sort of stuff that's part of our, our daily lives. Um, so it's, like I said, there's, there's, there's obviously some positives to having uh, a certain amount of income, but um, it's, it's a wider, it's a wider discussion, and uh, like Emmett, you know, pointed to a lot of the history that I was aware of, and I think that's uh, it's important to not just take something at face value. That we actually have to understand who's actually driving uh, these things, and and whose interests is it going to serve ultimately? If the artists have um, come together and have this discussion, and you know, the, the general uh, theory is it's a good thing. Well, you know, maybe it's in the interest of the artists. Well, you know, there's there's more of something to be said for it but if it's been driven uh, with an ulterior motive then you, you kind of we have to question it and um, and basically the 
you know, we don't live in a vacuum. We live in a society that's, you know, it's cultural, it's economic, it's political, social. So, um, you know, until we actually have those those basic needs, wants, and, and, and services, uh, essential services, um, you know, I, I think to there's priorities to be made. I think it's a. I think as well, it's a. It's a. It's a band-aid that that people need now because, like a lot of us, and I know we're all probably in this kind of thing. Like, if the pand when the pandemic happened, everybody's money, like as an artist, that they could, was gone. So it's there to kind of give you cash to get you through. And mm. but I t I'm total agreement with you. Like it needs to be coupled with further down the line instead of actually sorting out kind of services well we'll just give you some money so that we can keep things as they are yeah. but at the moment it will help people it will help people that can't get disability for example 90 percent of people that actually apply for disability don't get it um like if you have like let's say migraines or fibromyalgia or some other kind of mental illness you know you can't get disabilities what do you do so in those kind of situations is good but i'd rather they sort that out as well coupled with it mm. you know what i mean it's kind of just yeah. uh the trialing of artists yeah, also there is the thing of just paying artists. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, that's, that's crazy, that's like, crazy talk. fucking wild <laughs> shit, like it's just like, you know, it's like you'll get, and, and as he hit it on it in the union did as well, like, you know, it's great exposure, it's like, well, I can't pay my landlord with exposure. And the fact of the matter is that there are people making money in this country from art, and our government benefits greatly from our art that we create as a branding opportunity for the entire country. But often, we are the ones who are left not being remunerated for that hard work uh, or we don't get paid for it until we're dead you know what i mean like so th that kind of shit happens there's a, ca a case of point like uh imro brought out a report in, in 2017 looking at you know value of music um you know 700 million was the kind of the gross figure of uh, you know brought into the economy 200 only 200 million was uh was actually filtered down into the artists and then obviously you have um a small uh, minority of those artists actually, you know, say U2, Hosier would would be in, and they'd obviously take uh, a lot of, the, of that. So really, there's pittance going to going to artists. But you know, if you do a gig, uh, people think, okay, two hours or an hour show, uh, that's it's not a whole lot of work. But like any gig I've been on, to, it's like uh, you know, it's a ten hour day. You're going, you're driving. If it's anywhere up in Donegal or whatever, that you're you're doing long days, but. Uh, you think, oh, you're getting loads there. It's like yeah. 200 euro for a gig. That, that's plenty. That's yeah, well, plenty. <laughs> what, else, what, I mean? what else would you spend on glitter? <laughs> 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 I, I suppose that's that's one of the difficult things is for bands, especially original bands, is it's the cost. Like, mm. if you want to set up a band, you're, there's so much uh, sunk costs into actually just getting a band operating. And, you know, minimum wage is something around, what, 22,000. For a band uh, of, say, four, four piece bands, you know, you're talking net, uh, even just to hit that, like 80 grand uh, for, for the bands, more than 80, 80 to 90,000. It's just the money, the, the income uh, revenue for bands just isn't there. The, the, the infrastructure isn't there. And that's something like I'll talk about um, maybe later if we're talking about going forward. The infrastructure isn't there. The venues aren't there. It's too difficult for, for bands actually. And, um, you know, to actually have these networks, the network isn't there and it's, it's run like like a lot of things in capitalist society. Uh, there's a, a monopoly on venues. There's a monopoly on record labels, yeah. um, and and it it's great for the ones that make it, but for every one band that makes it, there's another hundred or two hundred people that can't get uh, can't get a foot in. Uh, and uh, this final point is it, it creates this mono monoculture um, that 
you you yeah. mentioned it, and I like into you know analogy to to rainforests and like you know the biodiversity in, in nature, rainforests, and then the monocrop of uh, of capitalist society of its profit. It's about how can I take something that's for capitalism, rainforest has no value because it doesn't generate any profit, but yeah. I can create palm trees and I can, you know, use this as the resources. It's like uh, an artist, if they can't guarantee profit for a label, um, it's not going to, it's no use. So we don't want creative artists that are going to take months or whatever that we need, uh, a, rather than creative people, we need productive people that are going to generate uh, music and, and this monopop. Um, so uh, I, think, I think that hits it bang on the head though. That there, uh, yeah, and there is, there is some solutions that, that I, like I know we're talking about the problems, but there is actually some solutions, even specifically for music. In France, they do it where it's 50% of all music on radio stations is French. Yeah. So legislatively, that's a fix tomorrow. You just pass a piece of legislation that says, fucking 50, 60%, because there's enough Irish artists, yeah. enough diversity of music and sounds. Fuck it, 70%, you know what I mean? It doesn't have to be all like American pop music. That would instantaneously, increase the revenue streams of artists and independent labels. There's things in contracts still where you still have breakages, CD breakages in record deals, where the amount of CDs, but don't even make CDs, it's all digital. So you're operating on contracts essentially that are nearly fucking 25 or 30 years out of date. So that's when we need to kind of engage with the politicians and go, well, look, we're artists. How can we engage with these legal types and you know legislators and other people that can change things that have a, have a tangible effect on us? Mm. Simple legislative fixes, that, that they can't just dismiss us as saying, ah, you are always giving out, just and go, well, actually, here's a very practical solution, do that tomorrow, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, anyway. yeah and I think that, that kind of brings us to kind of a, a much wider conversation. Like, if we were, if we had an Irish utopia and we had, could ask for anything that we wanted coming out of this post-COVID society that, you know, we didn't have to, if we just take the pressures of that profit-driven industry off our shoulders for a minute, what would you think it could look like for artists if, if you could, you know, those ideas? What, what are those ideas? I'd love to hear your thoughts. If I could jump in. Um, yeah. I, I think at the moment, the, the utopian aspect is, is far away in the distance because artists are barely making minimum wage. Um, and so I think a lot of those kind of issues need to be addressed first. Uh, like the, the Arts Council brought out um, a, a fairly progressive document at the end of 2019 called Paying the Artist was, was essentially kind of this guidebook on, you know, if you're receiving public funds, you shouldn't be using free labour, you should be paying people a living wage, you should be paying for their expenses, you know, so on and so forth. Um, relatively progressive, but the Arts Council ultimately is more bark than bite and so can't really enforce a lot of these things, um, which hopefully Praxis will be able to come in and, and, and kind of address them. Um, and so as, as far as like, you, you know, utopian um, guaranteed contracts, um, which is a, a rarity, um, equal pay for male and female um, artists, um, which at the moment I believe um, male artists receive double the amount, um, which which is still seems to be ongoing. Um, there's there's basic things like pensions, basic things that like a lot of people in, in different workplaces will take for granted, which for some reason in the arts and culture sector has just been assumed that you know, they're, they're all just kind of flippant and there's no security and, and that's fine because you enjoy it for the art's sake and you know, you're going to do it anyway. And, and that's how a lot of, uh, a lot of artists get cut out. Mm. Um, and so, I mean, even, even things like, and we're very aware in, in practice of, of keeping students in mind because ultimately students are, are going through, um, you know, a four year degree and coming out having zero understanding of workplace issues, zero understanding of their rights in the workplace. And they're essentially just being used to undercut other already established artists. Um, and so there's, there's a variety of, of kind of 
multiple issues going on. I think obviously when you look back in the last like 12, 13 months, um, seeing how governments have responded to COVID is uh, a fascinating kind of insight into their understanding or their uh, their consideration for artists and that kind of dynamic and, and how the system works. Like um, in, in, in Belfast there in February, um, the communities minister um, announced 10 million grant for different arts organizations and arts institutions um, in the six counties. Um, and it was phrased as um, something to balance their books um, or something to deal with the, you know, the debt they had accrued over the, the, the few months of, of closures. And so essentially what you had is you had um, 10 million of, of public funds going to landlords and using an arts institution as a conduit. Um, and so ultimately you have this across the board. I mean, um, governments are more than able to uh, make um, memorandums for, for, for rent and for different arts institutions. Um, but they're, they're refusing to essentially. Um, and so instead they will just give out public funds to institutions who are indebted to private landlords and you just have this kind of direct funneling of, of public funds to, to private hands. Um, and you know, it's, it's fairly easy to see how uh, billionaires made even more money in the last mm. 13 months because ultimately this is what governments across the West essentially are doing. Um, and so there's, there's so many issues around that kind of, that, I'm not sure if it's a misunderstanding or it's just kind of blatant neoliberal politics. I imagine it's, it's probably more the latter, um, but there's there's so many issues around that, and hopefully having a you know a collective body of artists and be able to actually stand up and fight against a lot of these issues, um, which are being superseded by the demand to pay private landlords. Um, hopefully there's opportunities there to to kind of fight for an eventual utopian kind of art system or even something a little bit better than it is now. Yeah. That'll so it, do. It might it might seem like we're a bit off, but look we have the union now and you know we'll sort it out. fighting right in the corner. Mm. And what about yourselves? Do you have any ideas as just, what this art utopia is gonna just look like? Hit in on like as he was saying, you know, all the arts funding that basically has been released. Mm. Ireland before the pandemic had the lowest investments throughout Europe uh, percentage of GDP uh, uh, on art spent. And it was much, uh, you know, a shame kind of on Ireland because they kept this nonsense kind of expression. Of, oh, you keep punching above our weight, but that's what, as he was touching on there, is because we keep working for fucking free and we keep pulling out this art. Um, the, the politicians don't understand, they, certainly not Fianna Gael, certainly not Fianna Fáil, they don't understand the worth of art. And it is that thing that they know the price of it, but they know the worth of nothing. Um, it's very hard to quantify on a Google spreadsheet how art can impact an area of social deprivation, how art can actually bring down crime levels. It's very hard to quantify and track that. It's almost unquantifiable. You just have to trust that art will actually make a community better, a society better, and people feel in a particular way. But there are things that you can't quantify. There are things you can't literally put a price on. And if you can't put a price on it, then they don't understand it. They kind of do, they make noises like they do, and I think they're trying to say now that they do, but ultimately it's always about how can we turn this into a money spinner? And I think for us it's, it's realizing not to become uh, ad agents, Don Drapers, for governments to sell, like for the gathering, for example, when it basically became a way of selling austerity. Austerity has worked. Uh, the 1916 celebrations, we were brought out again, but again, we weren't being remunerated properly. Uh, and Kenny goes to uh, President Barack Obama and he gives him a book of poetry by Park, no, a book of fairy tales about Hawaiian children's fairy tales for Barack Obama's children. And that was a piece of art from an Irish artist. He didn't go there and give him a block of cheese. 
Do you know what I mean? So it is like our second biggest kind of, uh, it's the thing that we, it's our second biggest export after food, but yet they are just not willing to pay for it. They're kind of copping onto that now because the people that they have advising them are telling them that. But that's only one government change away from being wiped out again, you know? Uh, in the in the leadership race with Fine Gael, Racker and Coveney, they said they were going to increase the art spending by 7% every year and then that just didn't happen. So, just to summarise and hit on what the guys said, I think a lot of this has to do with better services so actors can survive if they don't get sick, artists don't get timed out because the economy and the market is not allowing them, public housing not just for artists but for everybody because artists have more in common with poor people across the board than they have with any other member of society. And we need to stop fooling ourselves thinking that we're the same as the politicians. We're not. We have common cause with the workers in the factory and uh, because they are making the same amount of money as we are. Actually, they make more than we do. Our average wage is between 5,000 and 15,000 a year. And if all you're doing is working as an artist, then that's just not quite, uh, so you can't survive. So I hope that all this extra funding isn't just to get everybody through COVID and then it's going to uh, disappear again and it's not going to be much use to anybody if all that extra arts funding that you get is just going to go to pay your landlord uh, cash until we can get some sort of form of public housing. I don't think that landlord can, uh, I don't think that the arts can really survive in Ireland. It's yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny as well that there was, a, there was a document released by the Arts and Culture Recovery Task Force, um, I think it was November last year, and they had some very, very questionable suggestions and recommendations um, to, to, uh, to, to the government in the South. Um, it included universal basic income, um, which I thought was, was kind of strange. I personally would be fairly against it because I think um, arts organisations uh, already barely pay their staff, and I think if you were to give um, everyone a basic income, they'd even be less inclined to pay their staff. And if you were to dare ask for money as an artist and you're competing against 50 people who get yeah. uh, universal basic income, that's going to be a difficult one. Um, there was another one around uh, VAT issues, love a good VAT issue, VAT just solves all problems in the world. Um, there was also a very interesting one around a mental and physical health programme, um, which you know is, is very important. You know, uh, pizzas on Fridays, um, and a nice gym in your local uh, studio is, is, is paramount um, as opposed to actually you know, paying people proper wages for proper work. Um, if you want people to be less stressed, uh, I don't think it's the lack of yoga in their life, it's probably the inability to pay their bills. Um, but I mean, I guess if they continue not paying, uh, we do have pizzas on Fridays, so there, there yeah. is perks. Um, going. Yeah, essentially. Um, and so there was, there was a very, there was, there was a few kind of different, it was, it was almost like somebody who works in HR um, put together this proposal as to how to um, recover the arts and culture sector. Um, and it was, it was very bizarre. There was very little mention of um, artists' wages or, um, you know, how are they getting work or where is their work coming from um, or anything around the, you know, the cost of living that they have to deal with. Um, and so it was, it was, it was uh, very, very frustrating to see that, you know, as, as recently as November last year, their perception of saving the arts and culture industry yeah. um, relied on essentially human resources, tactics mm. and piecemeal. It's really like just glazing over it all and actually not addressing the systems. It's like they're working off a different set of numbers as well. Mm. It's like they worked off a set of numbers that said we're all not on the median average wage, which is I think around 20,000, but an average industrial wage is around 32,000, which is obviously nonsense. Mm. You don't pay VAT until you make over 34,000 a year. The majority of artists don't make over that. So these yeah. kind of solutions are for some middle class artist that can is making that amount of money or some maybe 
in the end of their career artist. And it's the same with everything, uh, VAT, like nonsense. It's like, that's not gonna help us. The taxation around art as well, this kind of perception, art, actors don't get like tax-free, but things like that actually only benefit artists who are mid-career or late career. It doesn't do anything to actually address um, how uh, young artists actually get through like everybody pays they pay some form of tax it's not for everybody but addressing that and actually coming up with something better than you know tax-free type credits which is kind of another form of a uh, universal basic income and also what mark said about you know the displaying hamland loss creating a base i would be afraid that the universal basic income will create a baseline that some it's not institutions because i think mm. legally to be a bit but what we're, we'd have to say is that if the artists do get universal basic income you need to go to an employer and say that's my business that's my money. Don't worry about what I'm getting. You need to pay me because the universal basic income is is the floor. You still need to pay me the regular wage. You're not giving me like cutting, taking the universal basic income out and then basically giving something to top it up. You know. So there, there was another yeah. interesting one in, in the in the proposals around um, training and uh, development um, oh, for artists and right. you know people in the industry. Uh, kind of touching on what you were discussing earlier on. Just you know, just go off and do IT. Yeah, that'll that'll solve things. Yeah, yeah. mid career kind of like yeah. you know, you're just like yeah, okay, you should try digging a hole, mate. I was like, yeah, I'll get yeah. on that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. the government's yeah. looking into it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So, no, I was just going to say um, in terms of the question about utopian. Um, I think. For, for us uh, and as artists is not to not to think in those utopian terms I think the reality is there's a class struggle uh, and um, for me like the ideal thing is not to think of uh, you know artists and now and musicians bands uh, actors whatever that it's all it's profit driven it's it's like this is it profitable uh, it's not thought of well actually is culture uh, an essential part of uh, our lives and, and I think it is and I think that it's a mentality, it's, uh, it's how people perceive musicians, artists, um, you know, that these are essential. And we, we all felt it like uh, with the lockdown, people were going, oh, life is so dull without the arts. You yeah. know what I mean? So it is a, a, an essential service. And I think uh, that's the first thing. I think that the way to get there is um, a, a slogan the CPI used in terms of trade unions, either becoming radical or redundant. I think that, uh, can apply here that artists have to become radical uh, or they will be redundant they'll leave the profession leave the industry and what I mean by radical it means organizing uh, yeah. you know if that's in local collectives um, you know talking about okay well do we have a venue can we work with, with other artists can, like the, the viability of cross collaboration between the arts is uh, is immense but it isn't, it isn't there or isn't there to, to the extent that it could be. Um, and then obviously when you have people uh, meeting together and collaboration, then it goes to the next level of union organised, uh, union organising, that's you know, where practice comes in. Uh, so that's you know, one element of being radical, just go, hold on, we need to meet, we need to organise, we need to talk about ourselves. Second thing is not being reliant on the gatekeepers to actually give us this we have to drive artists, uh, and this is like it's not just in terms of the artists uh, in all uh, aspects of our lives. We have to drive it because there's no point in waiting on the politician to wait for the grant. It's not about uh, m money, it's about ownership. Uh, you touch on it. Ownership of uh, the productive means, ownership of the, the spaces that we work and create. And if we don't have ownership, we've no control. With no control, then we have no uh, 
ability to really affect our lives and to have those careers uh, as artists that, that we want and not just for ourselves but uh, future generations because we are setting our uh, future generations up for the same type of stuff and even worse because the, the system isn't actually uh, you know driving uh, public service it's driving it into the ground it's trying to privatize everything uh, for for profit uh, and that's that's just it's a systemic thing and until people um, you know, like I said, organise, meet, educate, and then the final thing, you know, being politically active, uh, getting an understanding of, of how society works. I think that is, uh, you know, it's all part of a pro uh, process, it's all part of a struggle, and it's all part of a class struggle. And if that isn't uh, to the fore, then we'll, we won't make those, we'll never reach a utopia, which, yeah. you know. Absolutely. And like the trade union left forum um, um, campaigns and a lot of progressive uh, campaigns like that, but some of the stuff we do is around some of the kind of laws that have a stranglehold on that organising that needs to be done. Mm. Yeah. So like, for example, the Industrial Relations Act uh, from 1990, that really inhibits a lot of the kind of organising and campaigning yeah. that we can do. So I suppose I, what I'd recommend that is people to get like have a look at the look at the campaign uh, and trade union left forum online and stuff yeah, and have a look at that sure. and engage with that those discussions because we need to challenge the laws that are there to kind of keep us down from this organising and yeah. um, because in order to have that class struggle we need to be able to we need to be able to say well we're down tools and we're walking off we're not balloting giving you two weeks notice so you can plot a campaign against us yeah. um, you know it's absolutely ridiculous um, that we're just sitting down and allowing this to happen and like and the kind of operating outside with the laws there that that currently were literally designed to keep us down and mm. um, I think is really important and that idea of social partnership as well that, like that somehow we're equal partners if we're at a table with the government we are not equal partners we've been we've had years and years of neoliberal governments putting in policies that are designed just to to keep us in our boxes and keep us down and I really feel like this universal basic income kind of thing is probably another thing to dangle in front of people to be like look we are giving you something I mean, yeah. can you stay quiet another little while um, until we until we uh, you know as you say really commodify arts and really uh, for, or else just completely forget about people after yeah. after this this post-covid post reality but I think we've really discussed a lot of a really wide range in, uh, of issues here and kind of really got a feel for like you know how people are feeling and but also the solutions and obviously praxis is going to be a huge part of that but I think the main thing is that we need a collective response to this like we really yeah need to kind of look at abolishing these laws that favour industry and business over arts and culture and we really need to be making sure that we're we're working together and uh, fighting together and, and, and helping to achieve um, both the, this Irish utopia that we discussed today. Um, and look, I just want to thank all of you today for coming in and having this chat. And um, we've mm -hmm. really enjoyed it. And this has been really a really good discussion. And I hope people are kind of like listening to this and learning from it. And, any, and obviously, if there's any artists that are there uh, to join the union, uh, get that plug in there for the Praxis Trade Union. Um, and we really look forward to seeing where, where that goes to. Thanks very much. Thank you,